0: Hi everyone, Eve Harrow, the Director of Tourism and Community Development for One Israel Fund. Welcome to the latest in our series of webinars, and I hope that you haven't missed them. Uh, Today is September 13th, 2021, the 28th anniversary, if you will, maybe commemoration would be a better word, of the Declaration of Principles that led to the Oslo Accords, something that we are still majorly suffering from uh, these days. And it's also the seventh day of Tishrei in our in our new year. Um, today is was also the third anna- commemoration, anniversary, I suppose, of the um, the burial of Ari Fold. And of course, it being Israel, I, I went to the I went to the cemetery today. I was asked by the family. And uh, about five minutes after I passed Gush Junction, there was an attempted stabbing, and the usual and. Uh, And our neighbors and our locals are still trying to do whatever they can to take us away from our homeland. And so our series of webinars have been doing what we can to connect you with our homeland and especially the biblical heartland of our homeland. And also the virtual tours that we've been putting out um, once a month, going into different communities in Yudava Jordan Valley, and meeting with someone and talking about that. I was just in the uh, Jordan Valley yesterday, very proud of some of the projects that we've managed to do despite the pandemic and despite the fact that people really haven't been able to come here and visit and see what we're about and um, playgrounds. And it's just amazing what we've been able to accomplish. I'm so grateful. And if those of you remember, listen to the last webinar, we spoke about the sabbatical year, about the Shemitah. And one of the things that we were able to do just in the last couple of weeks is take some money that wasn't earmarked. I love what I'm giving money that's not earmarked and I can decide what to do with it and create some gardens, plant some trees, put in the infrastructure for watering systems in a couple of different communities that couldn't afford to do them. We did it right before the sabbatical year since now they can't plant and the kids will have shade and in the parks and the homes and fruit trees. And it was really a joy to be able to do that. So I really wanna thank all of those who partner with us who enable us to do these things. And if you haven't yet become part of the Greater Israel family, we certainly invite you to join us. And I'm delighted to have with us this evening uh, one of the better known archaeologists here in Israel. And I love archaeologists, not just because I'm studying it this year, but because they're just such real people. And um, it's an amazing opportunity to be able to talk to one of the few academics who is allowed or does dig in Yehudah Shamron. Shomron, and we'll talk about why that is. Dr. Shai Bar, who is associated with Haifa University, he's a teacher and for many decades already has been focusing specifically on what many of you probably know as the Northern Shomron in biblical terms, the area of the tribe of Menashe, and of course, down into the Jordan Valley as well. So Shai, thank you so much for joining us here tonight.
1: Thank you for inviting me, it's a pleasure.
0: So, so tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, what it is that you do. What is it that you do as an archaeologist?
1: Well, You can I, just I, go
0: I, pick a place and go
1: dig there? Well, I, I wish, <laughs> but that, that's not always that simple. Uh, as an archaeologist, apart from teaching and educating the new generation of students that will be archaeologists in the future, hopefully, I focus on two methods of archaeology, the archaeological survey and archaeological excavations. And I do both of them, and I do both of them in one of the less explored areas of Israel, which is, as you said, the Shobron and the Jordan Valley. Um, I've been a student of the late Professor Adam Zatal, who's very yeah. known yeah. from discovering the, the altar on Mount Ival and other very interesting sites. And um, I did a PhD, uh, he was my supervisor, and I'm continuing in his footsteps walking Actually, walking, literally walking.
0: Literally, uh, his footsteps. uh,
1: The entire area of Samaria and the Jordan Valley in a project that commenced in 1978 and is still ongoing. It's actually the largest archaeological project in the world called the Menashe. uh, Yeah, 1978. Everybody just think where he was in 1978. I was in in, uh, mid school, I mean, (laughs) when Adam started, when the late Adam Zertel started this. And I joined him uh, about 15, 16 years ago. And since then we've been walking uh, until he passed away five years ago uh, in, in Samaria and in the Jordan Valley, discovering thousands of new sites um, from the beginning of mankind in the region till World War One camps. So we have them. Um,
0: So so since you mentioned the late Adam Zertal, someone who I literally followed around and I was in touch with you actually a few years ago when I put together a presentation of his work for a conference that I was at in Limud. And you were very generous and helped me with a lot of things that I needed to fill in. But you mentioned the difference between archaeological surveys and archaeological excavations. And one of the things that he did that really turned it around is he didn't just go to a site and start digging at the site, but he looked at the context of the place and he had his students walk around and see what else is around. Where is the water source? Where are the mountains? Where are the valleys? What else is going around that would cause people to settle there, cause people to leave there, whatever it was. Is that something that you follow because you talk about this major project in Menasha? Is that a methodology of his that you have continued as well in your work?
1: Yes, definitely. We are looking uh, very full at the geology geomorphology, water, road system, everything, to understand why people settled in the region in different periods and especially to see where, uh, when were the periods of the peak of habitation in the region and when there were periods that the area was virtually uninhabited. A good example for is the Jordan Valley. Uh, for example, that when you look at the period that we call the Late Bronze Age, like something like 15th, 14th century BCE, this, this area is completely deserted. Nobody really? is living in Jordan Valley. And when you look at the next period, 13 mainly 12th century BCE, that's the period we call Iron Age 1. But when I look at these two things archeologically, I can suggest this is immigration. Somebody immigrated to the region. Now, this is the time when supposedly in the Bible, the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River and entered Canaan near Jericho.
0: Right.
1: So they entered an almost empty land and they resettled it. And we have proof of that in the archeological survey, which is something very. Mm-hmm. and when we look at the type of settlements that we find from the Iron Age one in the Jordan Valley, these are all nomadic encampments. And when you read the Bible, the people of Israel were nomadic, because they were just going through the desert all these years, they were nomads. So it's very interesting... So you
0: you've touched on you've touched on a very interesting point that I, I'm sure my listeners would like a little bit elaborated because we're kind of inundated with biblical criticism and and it's for a lot of different reasons. It's not just for religious reasons, a lot of this is political. Also, if people can somehow prove, as it were, that this never happened and the Israelites never came in, then some of our modern day claim perhaps to the land of Israel doesn't have any basis. So there are a lot of ramifications to what's happening here. But as an archaeologist, When you go into the field, I know that the Tanakh, I know the Bible is with you, not necessarily as a religious book, but because it gives a tremendous number of clues, yes, as to like if people settled in the hills or the valleys or where exactly they were. How does that work? Because you're a scientist. So how does that combination work for you? And I know it's a challenge for very many archaeologists. Whether they wear a kippah, don't wear a kippah, whatever they do in their private lives is, is very much separate from their academic and from their scientific work. So if you could share with us, if it's not too personal, how you, how you pull those things together for yourself.
1: Well, first thing, I'm an academic and I am, and you know, there are academic levels of behavior and, and that's what it's a method of conduct that we have to continue and support the facts for, for our right. claim, what do you think. The thing is that this region, Samaria and the Jordan Valley, was not explored previous to our work. I mean, when we look at the survey, 85% of the sites that we document are new, were never explored before in all the periods of habitation. This means that we are rewriting the history of the region. Now, so first thing is the facts. For example, we have many nomadic encampments in the Jordan Valley in an area that was empty before in the Canaanite periods. Hmm. Now, this is facts. Now we can assume, we suggest that these are the Israelites crossing the Jordan example I gave you. Mm-hmm. Somebody might say, well, this is far-fetched. Do you have anything else to show? Me? These are the facts. Can you explain who these were? I had a talk with a very nice professor from Tel Aviv University, I won't mention his name, and he said, okay, maybe these are the people that are the um, nomadic, um, uh, how do you say, no, nomadic circulation of the Canaanite city in the Bet Valley. Because in the Bet Valley, there were Canaanite city even after uh, Israel entered Canaan. for example, Bet and Rehob and other cities. Right. And you do, if you go to the Israel Valley, etc." which were not uh, conquered, uh, uh, or, or, or so maybe this is the nomadic component of these cities. But I say we are 30, 40 kilometers afar, and and there is, and this settlement that we see is not reaching the area of the Batchian Valley or the Israel Valley. It's something that's occurring north of Jericho, in a very restricted area. It's like Saba came north of Jericho and entered there. Now, you can say it's not the Israelites, Bibleism, mythology or anything, but please. And who is it? Uh, who <laughs> right. are these? No, they're not Canaanites, this is for sure. They don't have the Canaanite culture. They are nomadic populations. Canaanite. Mm. most of them are city dwellers and they have their specific um, material culture that is not presented in these nomadic encampments. So who were they? So this is how, how we tackle it. But, but we have a stronger position then that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, this stronger position comes from scholars who uh, are not willing to accept the facts or are not reading all the data because archaeology has lots and lots of data and you have to choose right. what to right. And we have a lot of problem because it's very hard to publish things from Samaria and the Jordan Valley.
0: Why is that?
1: Why is it? Because uh, according to the, you mentioned the Oslo agreements and according to the Hague Convention, um archeological work is not, except for salvage excavation is not supposed to be in areas conquered by, uh, by a specific regime versus the local population. Mm-hmm. This, this is what the Hague uh, Convention mentions. Now, um, you know, according to the Oslo Agreement, the area of Samaria and Judea and Samaria is divided to area A, B and C. Right. Now, what I'm talking is happening in area C, which is completely, Israeli-controlled, both uh, governmentally and uh, military control, And we, we, can, we don't have anyone else to ask, only the, the Israeli uh, government to, to get access to, to, to work on it. So we are caught. On one hand, we can do the research because we have a license from our government, the Israeli government, because this is Area C in the agreement with the Palestinian authorities. Mm-hmm. I cannot work in Area A, which is under Palestinian control okay, this might be a big problem, but but I cannot, and I'm not working there. I for, example, Nablus, Schrem, for
0: example, Nablus, Shrem, which, which in, is uh, an incredible yeah. place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for example. And, and uh, I'm working in the suburbs just right now, serving the suburbs of Shrem, but I cannot enter Shrem itself. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the, the bigger problem is that I cannot publish because uh, most of the journals won't accept papers or books that I write because they are not in accordance with the Oslo agreement. This is a catch-22 situation. Um, I'm the only um, university-backed archaeologist working in Samaria for so many years. All my friends stop doing this because they cannot publish. If they cannot publish then they perish, you know, publish or perish. This is the the, the famous...
0: Yeah, well, then your reputation as an archaeologist isn't known internationally if you can't publish what you're doing.
1: I cannot go and lecture in America or in Europe about very interesting and important finds that we have in Jordan Valley and Samaria concern the, the emergence of the Israel people or other periods and things. They won't let me. I cannot. The,
0: wait? Who is they? Let's say someone is listening and I have really outstanding listeners and people who follow they, us. Let's say they're in Texas and they have a I, community I, I, and they want to hear from you. Can they invite you privately to come?
1: Oh yeah. Yes, of course. They can. Well
0: take note of that, not people. The time, yeah. Not in a time of
1: the pandemic, maybe,
0: but they can. They're oh, leaving as well. that aside. There's always something, isn't there? Okay. But but, example, in, but it's not like, it's not illegal. They can invite you as our, a private archaeologist to come.
1: Yes, yes, of course. And, okay. and they can purchase our books and they can support us if they want. And, and mm-hmm. because Okay. We are doing very important thing because we are now, actually in the last years, I can say that we're salvaging a lot of data. Because I see sites that we've published a few years ago and they are already non-existent. Either Why? either completely looted by Palestinian looters or a massive uh, development, building roads, building infrastructure, building new neighborhoods in mostly Palestinian cities, not only, and and villages, which is very important for their community, but without archeological supervision, which means that many sites get destroyed. Um, this would
0: never I, be allowed in any other situation.
1: I, I, I've just uh, received a, a text saying that there is a big work, a group uh, uh, working on salvaging sites in Samaria, and they checked 365 sites, and 80% of them were either completely destroyed or partly destroyed. And that's mm-hmm. terrible, because that's destroying the, the, everything for everyone, for all the people. That right. Ever it's destroying
0: it. history. Oh, yes. that can't be bought back.
1: The question of Jews or or, or Muslims or our ethnicity is just destroying archaeology. And this is something we are trying to fight. We are excavating some of these sites that are hurt by the looters. Um, We are writing on this. We are publishing all the data available we have. But Mm -hmm. but it is said true that many, many sites get destroyed. And I see and especially since... Like a year and a half since the pandemic, uh, the looting of sites is increased by at least 300%. And we can see it on a weekly basis. And I'm I'm there in the field and I see sometimes looters in, in action.
0: Why is that? Because there's even fewer um, uh, people from the Israeli government. I know that there are very few to begin with. uh, Inspectors, I I forgot the word in English. Inspectors who come and try and catch the the looters.
1: Until less than a few months, there was only, I think, two inspectors for entire Samaria, which is a giant area, with with more than 10,000 sites. Uh, now I'm very glad to hear that they uh, got the budget for another one, but for another two. but that's a still it's like they can leave a, a site and five later than the, the, the robbers rob robber. it. and it's. Right. it's uh, they, do, they do what they can. They do fantastic work and they stop a lot of destruction. but they are yes. just,
0: um, there, there are aren't problems. enough of them. No. And no. I mean for, for those who are unaware in an archaeological site, Even if they just disrupt the site, if they're looking for coins and don't find them, but even just the upheaval of the ground, because the layers in the ground are what tell the story of what came first and what came afterwards and why people left or what was destroyed. And even so just digging a site, even if they're not finding something gold and and stealing it, and that's also terrible, of course. Um, means that in terms of science, that site is very now, let's say unreliable in terms of the information that you come up with. It's just um, I mean, there really are no words because like you said, it, it's humanities, it's humanity's knowledge. it's humanity's treasure that uh, the Israelis are trying to bring out. And as you said, irrespective of it's connected to Judaism or not, we get just as excited when we find a Byzantine church mosaic. As we do with anything else, some of them are, are beautiful and they're they're you know fixed up and made viewing for the public and and um, it's really a, it's such a privilege to be able to do what you do. I can't imagine how frustrating it must be for you to to see some of these places just ruined forever. I can
1: give you an example if you want. Uh, please. please. I can I'll just share screen I'll just show you something. Okay. Uh, This is a site that I like in Samaria, it's called Dahar Barzebana and actually just to start, the uh, the research at the site that started in in August 2020 and that was a terrible August 2020, not only because of the pandemic which was terrible at the time and people didn't go out except for the looters, but this is just a small example of uh, looted graves and sites in Samaria in the in, uh, two weeks in August, 2020, just something fast that I collected from aerials and, and, and ground uh, uh, visits. Um, and uh, uh, later, of course, in January, when we will speak later about the Mount Eval site and the uh, part of the destruction that occurred there. Joshua's uh, altar, yeah. This was over on Mount Eval, yes, the Mount Eval site. Uh, which, uh, this is the destruction that occurred to the this wall at the site. Um, mm-hmm. And again, and you can see here, the, the site that I'm speaking here, the map. I'm sorry, it's in Hebrew, but this is the site. And this is the largest uh, Bronze Age cemetery uh, in Samaria and one of the largest in the Levant. Uh, really? It was, wow. uh, it was only little salvage excavated because of looters, um, but uh, you can see this is the road called the Alon Road, you can see it here and here.
0: And oh, I know where you are, road.
1: okay. You Looted tombs everywhere. You can see all these holes or shaft tombs. And you can see here in the pictures all these small dots. They are not nice trees, but they are tombs. And we counted uh, 1,600 looted tombs on these sites. Oh my goodness. And this looting is going on. And and on a high hill above this looted cemetery, looted Bronze Age cemetery, uh, was a very famous. Um, Tumulus, the largest tumulus in Samaria. Tumulus is a big pile of man-made heap of stones that is usually covering the grave of an important person or an important building. And this is the largest one in Samaria. And this was actually documented in the survey and published in, as you see, just a year before what we talked about in 2019. We've just Mm -hmm. published You can see when it was still okay. It's 30 meters wide and uh, 11 meters high. Very important structure and uh, this is another aerial photography of this uh, of this uh, structure before destruction when we just documented it and we came to a return visit to the site we do it usually will come twice to each site. wow and this is what we found out it was completely uh, destroyed looted uh, demolished by uh, by robbers, uh, by either grave robbers or archaeological robbers, and you can see the destruction. Literal
0: it's, grave robbers!
1: Wow, that, that's terrible! Complete destruction to the site and also to 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 the a uh, small village, Bronze Age village that was there just on the side. You can see everywhere it's uh, loot looting activities by these uh, by these looters who are Palestinian, probably from if the glove is correct, from Hebron area. Um, and this is terrible. So we decided that uh, the Menashe Hill Country Survey will focus more on salvaging data. So that we we decided that we will focus now mainly on publishing and salvaging data. And we have here five excavation projects that we started. You can see the lower one is the Hamas, the, band, the site that I was talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Other site excavated in Samaria, a bit that nobody is willing to uh, help us or publish what we do but we do it because it's salvaging important data from different periods from, this is from the uh, end of the Iron Age, probably a Babylonian destruction of a Judean. Wow, um, that's, is, that's, uh, the uh, yeah. that's the first yeah,
0: temple, that's the first temple, right? Yeah. That time period. Yes,
1: before the destruction, probably even destroyed by the Babylonians on the way uh, to, Jerusalem. to Jerusalem. wow. So for the destruction, yes, very, very important site. Uh, the northernmost Judean occurrence in Samaria, maybe uh, starting from the days of the reforms of uh, Yeshayahu. Uh, in the southern a very important site that is partly destroyed and we're salvaging it. In the Fatzael Valley, in the Jordan Valley, we excavate another site uh, which is earlier but very important uh, in the beginning of metallurgical activities in the region. Uh, Telesaur is something that I'm just just why that's why I wake up every morning now at 4 a.m. to go and excavate there. This is an ongoing excavation that I now excavate the entire month uh, in the Wadi Ala region in north uh, western Samaria, the entry to the Sharon Plain, uh, and the foot-shaped enclosures. Also, we're excavating these, trying to salvage more and more data. You can see here the map of the survey area, all mm-hmm. the area. In, uh, Menashe the Valley, Bethan Valley, all the area of Menashe and the Jordan Valley to the Dead Sea. All this was mm. long on foot. So, so we're doing our best to salvage all, all this very important data uh, and heritage of, of, of uh, humans here in the region, uh, which is, uh, as you know, of course, very important. And when you look at the Bible, for example, this is where everything happened, or most mm-hmm. of the things happened in Judea and Samaria. Um, and then neglecting it archaeologically uh, because of uh, being uh, under a fierce attack of uh, BDS and other uh, very good friends of ours. Uh, it's a very big problem that's uh, sabotaging careers of people, of very few people who try to salvage their archaeological data and I think that we are doing actually a salvage operation, a very long salvage operation trying to salvage what we can uh, from Samaria, and um, this is very sad, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a tragedy, it, it's a tragedy. It
0: really, there is no other word for that, you know, and in, there are so many people who will save to, who will do anything to save some butterfly, right, like they won't let Samaria be developed because there's some butterfly in the field that they want to save, but here you have priceless, uh, there's just really no other words, or priceless treasures, in, not necessarily in the value of the thing, the knowledge that it gives us, not necessarily in the, val- the inherent value of the thing itself, um, that is just being destroyed every single day. And some okay. of the people who would be on the forefront of, you know, political correctness or whatever it is, um, are not, not only not taking up the fight, but are probably would be on the side of encouraging those who uh, who want to destroy it and destroy our connection. It's just, um, it's appalling, in in every single way. Uh, you know, um, one of the most interesting places, at least for me, and I love guiding it also, is Sebastia or Shomron, what was the capital of the Shomron, and that is in that area where you're digging as well. And the last time I was there, and this is a place that was excavated by Harvard Expedition already over 100 years ago under the Ottomans that would be, and came up with just incredible finds. Uh, the names of the daughters of Tzlov from the biblical names showing that their homesteads were still active hundreds of years after the conquest. Just outrageous, wonderful finds. Um, but that area is also, there's an Arab village there. They're building on top of the site. They're stealing all the time. And um, it's kind of a thing.
1: The fact that Although it is the site itself is area C,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is a complete jurisdiction, yeah. going there, the army usually won't let you. And if right. they let you, it's with a convoy. Because yeah, it passes that's by, how to get there. Are, and is area a. And this yes. is a, a very good example because this is probably one of the most important archaeological sites of Samaria. Uh, and of Israel, yeah. and it's, it's, uh, I visited also a few months ago there, and it, it's just <laughs> destroyed. It makes your heart sick. And there, are, and there are, you know, there are graffiti everywhere of the Islamic right. Jihad and everything. The church there, the big, there's the church there, on the other right. of the church, there's a big graffiti of the Islamic Jihad now, uh, and, and, um, and the theater, they destroyed part of it, and before everything. I mean, it's, it's devastating, and it's, it's very another sad. Thing. And, 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 another you know, thing, another thing to know, in, in, to... in, in the heart of Israel. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really is the heart of Israel. I mean, everybody just saw the map right now. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's another thing to uh, write to the government about that when they fix all the other things that are going wrong, maybe they can deal with this. Uh, But you know what? I don't think this is any less important than many of the other things that uh, ideological stands, if you will, but it shouldn't even be ideological. This should be really a scientific issue. Um, and it shouldn't have to do with where Green Line is or not Green Line or who lives anywhere. Uh, This is really plundering
1: world history. I can admit, although there are people listening, but I can admit that I'm not a right-wing Israeli voter. I'm in the middle. I never was, and I'm not religious, but I'm an archaeologist, and I see what's happening there, and this destruction of heritage for all people is devastating. It's the yeah. destruction of biblical sites. It's destruction of sites mentioned uh, in the New Testament. It's it's destruction of all kinds of sites. Even Muslim sites are being destroyed by uterus. Fewer, but some are. And, mm-hmm. and just the heritage of the region is being destroyed because people are not doing what they should. And this is mm-hmm. the fact that I am personally hurt by that. Boycotted, actually, that's the right. Well, I'm boycotted I cannot go and speak and publish and everything and, and, and it's like, like there is a big cross near my name many, yeah. many, many many institutions and that's very sad because I think that I'm not a very bad archaeologist and I think that what I'm doing is salvaging the data which is much more important than going and excavate another site in Israel which is uh, which will give more data but, but this data won't be destroyed if I won't, if it's not excavated. Here we are right
0: salvaging the data. Right, uh, look, I remember Adam Zertal, who was also raised in a very secular kibbutz and Shemer, yes completely said he he didn't even know about the Bible until his, his adulthood. And he came to believe in the book of Joshua because of the science and was also very much boycotted and not respected the way he should have been. because of exactly what you're going through as well Um, because of where he was digging. And he was told he was the settler's archeologist. And he said the word in Hebrew is which translates to like, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Um, He said, I'm following the science and I'm, I'm finding what I'm finding. And it's not because of my background. It's not because of any kind of trying to prove a point. I'm just being true to what I'm finding in the field. And he was also, of course, uh, not allowed to speak in many places or published. So how do you get students for for your digs given? All the difficulties and all the controversy are these your student your archaeological students in the university when people sign up to, to earn the degree then they have to go out and dig with you do you get people from other places how, how does that how does that technically go about I know I should tell my audience that you've been up since 430 this morning because you're <laughs> if they didn't hear you say that okay. before because that's what you do in archaeology and I've done that more than once um, to get there early dig in the morning break a little bit and then by one o'clock when the sun is high in the sky. It's time to wash the pottery and uh, and and see what you found. But so, but really, where do you draw your um, your, your your diggers from?
1: Your students. Well, um, let's. There are two questions, two answers to this question because there is the survey and the excavations. Everything is combined, but then it's not the same people actually. In the excavations, most of them are students because uh, people understand that. Uh, excavating in Judan samaria is very important the sites are very important we have fantastic yeah. results from these excavations it's breakthrough because nobody's working there we can choose what we want to research what period it's amazing what we do. yes it's, it's very it's like it's like a small child in a candy shop <laughs> sometimes yeah. i feel like I just this. do whatever you want I want, this. I want to this is this seems important this is a so so it's, it's something that is Maybe like this, in an imaginative uh, idea,
0: right? And, theoretically, and,
1: and, and, and I'm the only one who's doing it. I mean, all I mean, all the others maybe here, go here and excavate. I excavate several sites. that you've seen salvaging these sites, um, and and I have students that come, and I have uh, volunteers that come for many years really? now, and sometimes we have foreign volunteers that come, foreign archaeologists, students that come and support us. Of course, not relevant.
0: Oh, you do have foreign st- volunteers. Yes, oh, yes, I okay. Because those kind—I
1: I don't want to brag—but those who come and excavate with me, they have such a good time that they want to come back.
0: And, I'm sure they do.
1: And they get—they fly a Wizard or EasyJet Jet, I and in fifteen dollars they fly to Israel. Which is right. It's lot more today with uh, prices of air from Europe to Israel, for example, for European students. That it's very cheap for them. Sometimes they come for a week of excavation and go back. They don't wow. even go to Tel Aviv or visit; just come to the excavation. Of huh. course not the last two years because of the COVID right. uh, pandemic, but this was what happened before. And then there is the group of the survey. Group of the survey is based on volunteers that come, I inherited some of them from the late Adam Zartal because I was part of the team, and they of course stayed with me when he passed away. And these are, group, they are not archeologists, most of them. Some of them did a degree in archeology span after being in the survey. And some of them, uh, are participating in the survey for for more, more than 20 years so it's a very really? team they are wow. very good although they are not archaeologists they are a very expert team we are we are laughing we call ourselves the gariatric survey the Geriatric, because, <laughs> okay because i think that the mid mid-age is like 70 65 now they okay. were younger when we started <laughs> but uh, yeah but wasn't uh,
0: everybody yes the,
1: uh, group. and we are not in a hurry we walk slowly and discover kind of things so this is the other thing and it's all based on volunteers because without them we couldn't do anything and right we well you
0: don't have the budget, have budget. you don't have no a budget problem. for ba- you
1: yeah. cannot have budgets. raising money for this project is very problematic again because nobody from abroad from you know, universities or institutions will give money to such a project only we have private donors. And also in Israel, it's a very problematic uh, area to raise money from. Mm-hmm. And very difficult, you know. We have the Israel Science Foundation, for example, which is a very important um, foundation to, to give money for academic projects in every aspect of us speaking about archaeology projects, and and they have a nice amount of money every year for for the, for different projects, but. You, uh, you you write a very, very big application uh, form and then you send it, and then they send it to five judges, which is okay. But it's enough that one of these five judges is not thinking that Israel should work in Samaria, Israel archaeologist. It's always that's happening. it. And that's it. He will find something that this specific uh, application won't succeed. And, and this is happening again and again. And it's just I've I stopped. I've stopped asking money from the Israel Science Foundation and from similar institutions. Not because of the Israel Science Foundation; they are great, giving money mm-hmm. to, to academic research, but because they send it outside to, to judges and then to, uh, to uh, external readers and referees. And then you know, it's, the academic world is is not. Uh, much supportive of our efforts uh, in Samaria, unfortunately. And, and then it's, it's a waste of time. I'd rather we write a few chapters of a book or two papers at the same time, understand mm-hmm. so So actually we have some supporters which help us work, but they are few and it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's actually, And that's why we base ourselves on volunteers.
0: I'm thinking maybe now that we have the Abraham Accords, maybe there's actually somebody open-minded who loves archeology span and just wants to learn about the history of the region in, I don't know, Abu Dhabi or somewhere who, uh, yeah. yeah. Don't know, you know what? The world is such a strange place. Can you imagine? I I wouldn't
1: say no. The Dubai-sponsored Menasha Project. project, I think it's so important that that I I never say no. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. then why should you? Uh, It could be very cool.
1: You know, it's, it's yeah. very important.
0: Mm-hmm. And how about your university? They're supportive of the work. Chai yes. University.
1: Well, yes, uh, you know, for for uh, excavations in Israel and surveys, uh, you have to be uh, university backed, meaning right. you have to have a university, an uh, official in one of the six universities in Israel that supports your work and is responsible that you will do it according to the law and publish everything, mm-hmm. etc. And my home university in Haifa is is, is doing this. They never said no.
0: Wow, that's great. That's great. Okay, and and Ariel University in the Shomron doesn't have that standing yet
1: to be able to do that? I mean, the Haifa University is something you have to ask the Ariel University, but they also were. They're
0: also boycotted. They're they're lecturers in every. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) But, but they also, they have the same problem. They cannot lecture, they, they find it hard to publish, etc. cetera, they, they have the same problems. If they so, work in Samaria, not all of their researchers work in Samaria, Some work in other sites, not, not in Samaria, nor Judea Judea, Samaria. So they're not boycotted, but uh, it, it depends. So, uh, so uh,
0: I'd like to spend the last few minutes on the positive. So tell us about some of the things that you found. I don't know if you have, your most, you know, the the thing that excited you the most, or your favorite find. It's probably not a fair question, um, well, but well, in the in the last couple of decades, like, what have you? Something that perhaps surprised you that you didn't expect, you know, to find. Let's say rim jars in an, in an Iron Age site. Okay, that that might be something that you anticipated. But you know, what what can you share with us that well, we
1: really, have some, uh, some few few uh, surprise sites, I call them. For example, when I started the, to work in Fatahill Valley, yeah, um, we went to a site called Fatahill True, which is in the Jordan Valley, north of Jericho, and and we I excavated it as part of my PhD. It was like um, a while ago, years ago, <laughs> not that much, but uh, not quite yes. a while ago, yeah. And and we, and i I'm, I'm, I'm it's ongoing. I mean, every February I go there. To decide and continue excavating. And, and when we started, we started just because uh, the site was destroyed. The site was partly destroyed. And then we said, OK, I'm doing speech here on the Jordan Valley in this specific time period. I want to excavate. They decided to salvage the, the things. And it turned out to be a very, very important site. I think one of the most important sites from the Carpalitic and early Bronze periods, including you know, very interesting jar burials that we city scanned. In, in order to to uh, to discover the, the what's inside and what so
0: there were skeletons inside the jars yes
1: and they were complete
0: wow. and since uh, wow. we had the
1: complete jars we found them buried below the floors of the building the structures of the site and so we took them to Philips in Haifa the the city scanner <laughs> uh, company and we went there and we scanned them at midnight uh, because they were not allowed to do it. In regular times, we could do processing, and then we suddenly saw the body of the small, oh. small boy or girl just appearing in the city scan, and we did lots wow. of research. And additional research, I mean, there was even a, a film in the National Geographic about this, this this discovery. This was something very unique. And then it turned out that this specific site was very important in the um, manufacturing of uh, of copper, at the beginning of, of uh, metals in the Levant. Really. So, Huh. most important sites in some aspect that is now being uh, researched uh, with collaboration with other universities. Uh, so it, and it just began with, let's salvage this site, it's being destroyed. Hmm. Uh, so this is one example. And another example is, again, the site Mrasadin uh, that I talked earlier, we, we came there, we thought, this is a site from the Iron Age of uh, um, you know, the um, uh, post post uh, Syrian destruction of Samaria, okay, uh, which occurred in the eighth century uh, BC, and uh, the destruction of the the, the kingdom of Israel. Um, right, what what people know is
0: the ten time. tribes being exiled, which is a little yes, superficial. Yes, it was okay. a lot more complicated, but yeah, yes, very much. Well, it was no, bad.
1: Much complicated. It was bad. Yeah, no, but that was an area that's supposed to be uninhabited and partly destroyed and everything, and we found this flourishing site has continued to exist until the sixth century with the, the Babylonian destruction. This is very important because we know almost nothing on the beginning of the sixth century because we have very few Babylonian destruction layers. And this is probably one. And again, this started because of a site being partly destroyed and looted, and we wanted to salvage the data. And again, surprise, mm-hmm. surprise, new findings. And, and, and this, this is happening everywhere. And this is happening even uh, in the, the last days of the survey, when we were walking in the Jordan Valley just north of Jericho, and we discovered uh, several camps that we started to do a research in them, looked modern camps, and it turned out that these are World War, World War I camps of, of uh, the New Zealand uh, Light Cavalry Brigade. We managed to, even to, to, to connect a specific unit to the camp, which wow. is very nice. And we worked on this camp and we collected lots of finds from this camp, and this is World War One. this is yesterday in archaeological, especially in Israel, in archaeological uh, meanings. But this was very important because, again, in a return visit to the site, it turned out that it was clawed by a local Palestinian and most of the site is now destroyed. So at least we were able to salvage some of the data we will contact the New Zealand uh, embassy and give them the data and give them the information about the site because it's very important for people who fought there in World War I. So we, we have all from prehistoric periods to World War One finding sites every time we go to Jordan Valley, we find new sites, we find new things. And unfortunately, sometimes we have bad, inf- bad uh, information because sites are being destroyed.
0: Have you? What have you found um, that, that would maybe resonate uh, for those who are interested in the Bible? I mean, in addition to, obviously, Joshua's altar, which was huge, um, on Mount Eval, um, you know, that was totally unexpected, literally stumbled onto it, weren't looking for it, not where it was expected to be, et cetera. Are there other sites like that? Because, and it's something that I'm, I'm it's on my head right now because I'm working on a report having to do with, the time of the judges in Yavesh Gilad. And it's very hard because there, there, aren't, um, there aren't what we would now consider typical Jewish symbols. You don't have, let's say, a slot for the mezuzah on the door. You don't have a ritual bath. You don't have the things that now we would look at and say, ah, this looks like Israelites or Jews lived here. Way back then, it was in formation. So how do, you, how do you try and figure out if it's belonged to what some people would call the highland culture? Or, you know, the Israelite yeah. culture.
1: Well, ethnicity is a very big problem in archaeology, especially as we go back in time. Um, but, for example, we have a group of sites that we call the food-shaped enclosures. Um, that uh, that means that um, these are sites, nomadic sites, of the same population that we've talked about. Iron Age 1 site, this population entering the Jordan Valley from somewhere. Okay, maybe cross the Jordan. Maybe they come from New York. With maybe flood.
0: for after forty maybe. years in the desert. Maybe, maybe. okay, yeah. we'll throw North that York. in there. Okay, and just
1: entering or re- entering the region, and they built uh, typical enclosures that are unique. We don't find them anywhere else in the ancient world in the, in the Middle East with the shape of a foot. We call them the foot-shaped enclosures. And this is a project, a, lot, a big project by the late Professor Adam Sertal. Right. And he identified these foot, foot ship enclosures as the biblical Gilgalim sites, um, which are the Iron Age cultic and gathering sites of the early Israelites in Canaan. That's uh, uh, where uh, they circumcised the, the people from the desert in Jericho, uh, Gilgal. Right. That's where um, uh, Shmuel crowned Shaul, one of the crown nations of Shaul. That's where Ehud ben Gera went in the judges period to fight uh, 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 his enemies. That's where Shmuel is said to be judging the people of Israel in the Gilgal. Now, until now, there was, except for a modern kibbutz named Gilgal and the Byzantine sites just near Jericho with no Iron Age or Bronze Age remains. So that's just something that somebody invented in the Byzantine period, mm-hmm. the G but it's not the Gilgal. Now we have a few sites called Gilgal or of this enclosure sites. And and, and we think, and from the same period, and that's because we were the only one who actually walked literally all the area, meter by meter it. We have these sites, these are connected to the monomatic sites that just surround them. It's like the the local local, uh, center of these smaller sites. These mm-hmm. are the Gilgal sites, the first uh, um, religious sites, actually, of ancient Israel uh, that are mentioned in, in Joshua and Judges, actually, mm-hmm. afterwards, because of when David moved to Jerusalem, he banned uh, other uh, religious right. sites. So this is not-
0: before Jerusalem becomes the place. It's, yes, different, it's different places different. until then. And there are altars in them and there are bones of kosher animals and, no, and the not, pottery not like of the period.
1: No, no. They, uh, one of them has something that looks like an altar. Okay. Um, the others are just very uh, big enclosures, like 10 to 15 size uh, in size larger than the smaller encampments that are for the local nomadic population. And they are mm-hmm. all located uh, beneath a natural proto theater we call it. Where people can uh, gather and assembly and see what's happening inside. Sa- some of them have paved paths that cir- circulate the entire site. It's very, very interesting. It's uh, fabulous. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, and uh, actually I'm, every year now I go in an ex- and I do a small excavation season in each of them just to see if we can better date the, the various uh, aspects of every site and do mm-hmm. research. So and
0: and there are many instances in the Bible of the term raglechav, the term your feet, oh. denoting God's presence, denoting conquest, all kinds of different references. I, I have also, the whole list. It's feet. amazing.
1: Yeah, all in different meaning because yeah. God is dwelling in his footsteps. This is right. in Yeshayahu, uh, right? Dwelling in his yeah. footsteps, and we have no footsteps. Literally, so trying, trying literally. Footsteps. So maybe that's where God is dwelling. So it's it's amazing discovery.
0: It, it's but, a, it's uh, one of the most. It, I think it's one of the most interesting theories and finds. And I, from what I understand, also you you and he f- went to the biblical text and based on the biblical text looked for another one and found it where you thought it might be near Rimonim off the, uh, the Alon Road, if I'm not mistaken. It,
1: it, this, is, this is a project led and uh, and then and suggested by Adam Zertal. I'm just continuing in these footsteps. Again. Footsteps, <laughs> yes. Footsteps, and uh, better dating the sites, doing more archeological research, not just a survey. Right, person, uh, right. But it gives
0: it. a whole new meaning to the text. I mean, we yeah. read the text and we don't always take it literally we figure okay it's terminology but um the fact is that there was also kind of that idea in egypt right that yeah, that the feet connoted connoted presence or conquering and conquering. it could be Yeah, at present. And it could be that a people who were familiar with the Egyptian context of things are the ones that built that. So maybe that's another connection to where these people came from. And the the whole thing is just absolutely fascinating. I'm so glad that you are continuing his work and, of course, doing your own work with your students. And I'm so sad that you're not getting the recognition outside of Israel that you really deserve because, um, I mean, being an archaeologist is one thing, but being an archaeologist and not being able to publish it, you know, is uh, has to be so incredibly frustrating, um, both on a personal level, because everybody wants to get the kudos that are due to them for the hard work that they do, but also it's it's something that we're all missing and we don't even know we're missing it. Um, I read other archaeological reports from different universities from all around the world, and what you are doing, which which I'm so connected to in every single way, um, the history of, of the area of Menasheh and the Jordan Valley is is cut off for reasons that are really just inexplicable and uh, unforgivable in many ways. And I know I shouldn't say that in this time period of the year, but there are certain things that need to be uh, repaired and you and I can't do it, but perhaps some different powers that be can understand um, what's wrong here. And for all of us, for all of my listeners, and for many of the people beyond who don't even know what they're missing, Um, maybe something will happen here and and there'll be a change. And the next time I interview you, you'll you'll be so excited because you're invited to this big conference to present this incredible find um, that just shook everybody up. And that would be really, really great. So uh, Dr. Shaibar, thank you so much for sharing the joys and the frustrations of what you do and i hope that you continue to do it for a long time and uh, train others you know to follow in your footsteps to keep up the work as uh, as difficult as it might be and that the looters find something else to do and, and leave us all alone um, for the future and i want to thank my listeners and i want it then viewers and i want to thank of course cyril who uh got all this together behind the scenes Um, so, uh, thanks once again. And, uh, as I said, continue to to connect with us. One is all fun. You can go onto our website, see the other webinars that we've done with some really cool people. And as I said, the virtual videos and the projects that we're involved with and uh, that in the coming year, first of all, it should be a, a year of health and of peace for everybody. And, um, maybe the good guys can like, get over the bad guys this year in a very, very simplistic sense. But we all have to do what we have to do uh, as individuals. And then hopefully the bigger picture will look different. Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism and Community Development for One Israel Fund. Uh, for those of you for whom it's relevant, Gemar Chati Matovah, an easy and a meaningful fast on Yom Kippur. And uh, may we all be signed in the book of life and health and good things for the coming year. Dr. Shaibar, thank you so much again. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now.
1: The Land of Israel Fellowship is ready
0: to usher in the Hebrew New Year with wisdom and faith. Join Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel for the weekly online fellowship. Like-minded people from around the globe seeking to learn Torah from Judea. A new cycle, a new world. To register, click on thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship.